0: toward us who believe according to the working of the mighty power which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come, and have put all things under His, that is Christ's, feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. He's echoing Psalm 110 saying that all the enemies, the principalities and powers have been placed under the feet of Jesus Christ. Then in Ephesians 3, verses 9 and 10, when the apostles speaking of his calling, he said, To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And he says this in other places in Ephesians. And then we can't forget even other epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, like 2 Corinthians 10, where he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down strongholds is not a defensive posture that is an attack that is launched by God's people against the enemy we are what we as christians must leave off any type of ghetto mentality and that's really easy to do when the attacks are coming we think all right i've got to hunker down and stay here we're kind of like the, the japanese soldier whose name was hiro onodo In World War II, September 1945, Japan surrendered officially to the United States. But the message did not make it to all the Japanese soldiers who were in caves and various islands that Japan had conquered. And there were still Japanese soldiers who were playing defense in 1950 and in 1960. And finally, that last soldier surrendered... In 1974, 29 years after World War II had ended. Well, thankfully, we're not, first of all, we're we're not going to lose the war. So we don't have to worry about a message of surrender coming to us. But we still can be tempted to withdraw from the fight. One popular phrase is a retreat to commitment. But that's not the message of God's Word. Jesus said that He would build His church and the gates of hell. That is, the defensive walls of hell would not prevail. They would not stop the onslaught, the attack of the church of the living God. we're often tempted to read that passage the opposite way. Jesus would build His church and it would prevail against the attack of hell. That's not what He said. But I believe another reason for considering that this is more an offensive exhortation than purely defensive is because the phrase, be strong in the Lord echoes another place that we heard this morning, Joshua 1, where the Lord told Joshua several times, be strong and courageous. Now, why did Joshua need to be strong and very courageous? Well, the leader of the people of God had died. Moses had died. The one who had led them for 40 years in the wilderness and through the wilderness and they were about to go in and now he's dead and Joshua is called to lead. Now for some of us, especially men, we find it a difficult enough task to lead our families. Imagine about another million or so Hebrews. And if read prior, they were not exactly always submissive to Moses. And those men who the ten spies had said were giants, they had not shrunk over 40 years. They were still giants. So now Joshua was called to lead and the Lord knew what he needed and he he needed a word to be strong. So he tells him not once, not twice, but he tells him multiple times, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. Because they're about to go take the land promised to them. Well, the church at Ephesus was in the midst of a pagan society. And no matter how large the church at Ephesus was, they were still dwarfed by the amount of those who opposed Christ. It was a seat of idolatry. So the Apostle Paul is telling them after expressing the the need of going on the offensive and how the church is going on the offensive, now he says, be strong. Just as Joshua was told to be strong. There is of course a time to play defense and I'm not saying that there is no need for that. But if we neglect our calling to live out and to proclaim the fact that Jesus is victorious, over the principalities and powers, we're not engaging with the enemy properly. So we might, we need to remember that this call is a, a call to offense and not just defense. But also, there's a particular type of equipment given in this passage. And that, that equipment is the armor of God. He, t- he says in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. And then in verses 13 through 17, he explains the pieces of armor. As we pursue the enemy, he doesn't stand by and take it. Say, this is just getting worse for me. I think I may quit. It would be great if Satan quit, but he doesn't. He's persistent. He is, as the Apostle Peter said, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking. He's prowling for those who are weak. He's looking for those who stray from the flock. So we are called to arm ourselves with the armor given to us by Christ. Now if you look at this, the armor may not seem very strong because it's things like truth and righteousness and faith. So how are those things going to help us as we face the attack and as we go on the attack against our enemy? Well, that's because if, if it's left in our hands, we're in trouble. If, if I have to rely on my faith, on my righteousness, on my proclamation of the Gospel alone... I'm as helpless as a sheep at a wolf convention. I'm in trouble. But I'm not left helpless. And you're not left helpless because the armor given to us is not our armor. It is the armor of God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16, it says that He, that is God, saw that there was no intercessor. And because of that, Jesus said that He brought salvation and righteousness as a helmet and breastplate. So Jesus has armed Himself. It is Jesus' armor that is given to us. He has already put on the armor. You are not expected to wield all of this alone. In Romans 13 verse 14, we are told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have any doubts about your own ability to deal with the attacks of Satan that come every day, you're okay. I don't mean you're okay by yourself, but because you're in Christ, you've been baptized into Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you, the armor has already been placed on Him. Jesus is wearing your armor for you, so if you put on Christ, you are in the armor That is given. It's not like Saul's armor. When it was put on David, it weighed David down and he couldn't move around and he was stilted. No. The yoke, the armor of Christ is easy, the burden is light. The captain of your salvation has already borne the armor for you. And because you belong to Him and you are in Christ, the armor is in place already. So we can know that our armor is sufficient. We know our objective, our task, but we have to consider our enemies. Our enemy is strong. Now He tells the church first to not misunderstand the enemy. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do not fight with individuals. Other people are not our problem. And we could think they're our problem sometimes. Because if you're anything like me, some of my greatest arguments have been with people. Some of, the, some of those that I struggle with the most are people. But if we say that a person or that a group of people that, that they are our problem, we're missing the point because our enemy is Satan is the principalities and the powers and the the institutions that he would that he would use and he does use people in these institutions to oppress and to oppose the kingdom of God. And again this is something you can see as you look around you we have government institutions that are telling us that good is evil and that evil is good. Well, that is an enemy. Let me insert here, though, of course, remember that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Well, we do not oppose... We're not anarchists who say, down with all government. No, we celebrate government and we desire it to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But just as Jesus has proclaimed His victory and He now rules... Sovereignly over all things and He commands every square inch to belong to Him so Satan would oppose that. And he would seek to come against the reign of Christ. So we must beware that the enemy is all around. But also the people that we are engaged in they're engaged with us. We are strong. He says, going back to verse 10, finally, my brethren, now this comes upon the heels of an exhortation given to husbands to love their wives, for wives to respect and honor their husbands, for children to obey their parents, for fathers to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to servants, to those who are essentially slaves, that they would do their work unto God. This is the army. Now on the surface, it does not look like an impressive army. Most of the armies that, that they were used to at the time, and that we're used to, are men and able-bodied men at that. But the army of the Lord is to- looks very different. The army of God includes men and women and children and young men and young ladies. It includes bosses, salary workers, the weak and the strong. If you are in Christ, you are a member of the army of of God. Everyone has a part. You, no matter how old you are or how young you are, you have a role in this war. One of the attacks that comes against us is to to think I can't do anything. I stay at home all day I'm taking care of kids all day. Or, I go to school. I do my homework. What is there for me to do? Or, I am so old. I don't have anything I can do in God's kingdom anymore. That's a lot. And we will look at in a few minutes how we can engage, how we can fight, and what we are called to do in some of our roles, but we are called to both build and to strike. In the book of Nehemiah, Chapter 4, verses 15-17, through we read this. Remember that the people were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but they had enemies trying to stop them from building the walls of Jerusalem. It says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to His work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail." And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. These were the original minute men. Well before the American War for Independence. You had work on the building, work on the wall, and you had some who were waiting and standing guard. And then there were even some who were carrying a sword with one hand and carrying building materials in the other. That's a good description of God's people. Because we're building, we are called, we are, first of all, the temple of God being formed into his temple, a temple which is, according to the prophet Daniel, and then if you look on in the book of Revelation, this temple is going to cover the entire earth. It's a big temple. But also, we are carrying our armor, particularly the sword with which we strike. So how do we balance this strike and build plan? Well, we strike the enemy when we worship, when we sing the psalms, when we proclaim the Word, when we partake of the Eucharist. In that case, we are striking at the heart of our enemy. We build when we give of our time and give of our wealth rather than hoarding it for ourselves and using it on things that we would like individually. We strike at the enemy when we witness for our faith to someone else. We build when we turn off the TV, log off Facebook or Twitter or your social media of choice. And we read God's Word and good books to our kids and spend time creating a culture of godly joy in our home. So now, for those of you who are young, especially little boys and girls, listen to me here. Do you know how, I'm looking for your eyes, do you know how you can fight with God's enemies? Because you have a, you have a job to do, Okay? How can you fight with God's enemies? One thing. There's a lot of ways. But I'm going to tell you one thing. When you sing about Jesus with all your heart, when you sing unto God with your whole heart, when you make a joyful noise to Him, you are striking against, you're hitting, going after, attacking God's enemies. So when you sing about Jesus, sing with joy. Alright? And that's not just my idea. Church family. David said that very thing in Psalm 8, verse 2. That out of the mouth of babes and sucklings He has ordained strength that He might steal the enemy, that He might stop the enemy and the avenger. Our calling surpasses age if you are a mom at home you participate in the building of God's kingdom as you are helping create that culture of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit within your home you're training the next generation of soldiers for the Lord if you think that you're caught in a dead-end job, and there's nothing that you can do to live out your calling as a warrior for Christ, that's wrong. When you seek first the kingdom of God, when you choose, when you make choices to follow what, is, what God's Word teaches, rather than what you may be tempted to do, or what you're... Co workers may want you to do, you are choosing to build the kingdom rather than tear down. Well, thankfully, the application in this passage is not left to me to figure out fully. Because in verses 18 through 20, the Apostle Paul gives divinely inspired application we're told to pray always with all prayer and supplication if you notice the punctuation going from verse 17 where he says to take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god leading to verse 18 it doesn't verse 17 does not end with a period it continues and it's that way in the original And I would suggest that the grammar allows us to consider prayer as an extension of wielding the sword of the Spirit. It's a part of using the sword. You say, how is that? Well, have you ever wondered how to pray? I've never... Okay, I say I've never come across. I've never come any I've never come across anyone that I had confidence if they said, I'm pretty satisfied with my prayer life. I, I pray pretty well. If you ever do run across someone that says that, watch out. And if you're ever tempted to think that about yourself, watch out. Because this is an area where we can grow. But the way that we learn to pray is by praying the Word, especially the Psalms. When we pour the Psalms in, we are learning how to use God's Word in prayer. We're calling what He has already said back to Him. So so it is a way that we can use the sword when we're asking our Father to accomplish His will. And this part about prayer is not just a mere tack-on at the end of the letter. Our spiritual warfare is either hindered or enhanced by our prayer life. Prayers are part of both our offensive and our defensive maneuvers. We are called to pray at all times for fellow saints. That's that's the first exhortation he gives in prayer. So this requires that we be sensitive to the needs of our fellow saints. When we come together, remember we are an army of one. We are in Christ, and we are therefore united to one another. So we should be careful about looking to see who we can pray for. Now, of course, we have prayer requests. And I would encourage you to consider those in your own prayer life, but also when you look around, when you talk to people, and someone tells you about something that they faced, a problem that they've had to deal with, either at home or at work or with one of their kids or someone in their family, pray. Be watchful. That's what that means. Remember, the lion, Satan, he's looking for those who are weak. He's trying, just like a lion, if you've ever seen something on National Geographic or or on any type of nature show, you see, lions don't focus on the middle of a herd. They seek to get someone or get one of the animals separated from the herd. Well, if our enemy can get us separated from the people of God, we're automatically weaker, which is in itself an encouragement to continue steadfastly in the worship of God's people. But just like the lion seeking whom he may devour, we too should seek those, well, we should look for how we can pray for one another. And after we are looking to see how we can help one another and we are striving for greater sensitivity, we're also called to pray for our pastors. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer for himself in verses 19 and 20. And not just prayer for himself that he would be a stronger person, but no, prayer that he could use his strength to make known the victory, the glory, the mystery of the gospel. So in our prayer, when we pray for our pastors, we should pray that they too, as our leaders, as those that God has placed over us, we should pray that they will speak boldly. That they will lead well as God's ordained ministers for us. Now I don't have any secret knowledge about struggles of our pastors, so I'm, I'm not telling you this. You know, trying to imply that there's a problem, and you need no, not at all. But having been there before, I can say they hear a lot of our request and our needs but many times we can look at them and think they've got it all together they're fine they don't need they don't need me but they do we are called to uphold our ministers before the throne of God Because they are the ones God has given to make known the mystery of the gospel. They are the ones, when the onslaught comes, they bear the burden for us many times. So we're called to help them in their burden. This is a part of our offensive prayer. Because as our ministers lead, the church of God is led as they seek to follow Christ. So wherever you are in your own walk, no matter how weak you feel or how strong you feel, you're a soldier. Your Father has armed you. Jesus Christ leads you. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And we engage our enemy as one because we are together united in the Son. Our weapons may seem small. Our army may appear weak. And each of us at times feel weak. And maybe even out of place. But our Lord has promised that He's going forth conquering and to conquer. He is going to take His kingdom and it's going to spread from sea to sea and from the river to the end of the earth. And the instrument that He has chosen in that conquest is His church of which we are members. Let's pray. Holy Father, Father, we ask that You would empower us as we seek to put on our armor and to engage faithfully with the enemy, we pray that as we have heard Your Word this morning, that we would obey as You have applied it to us. And I ask now that Your peace that surpasses all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is in His name we pray. Amen.